Welcome to the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we get, begin today's show, I just want to thank the sponsor for the show who makes it all possible. It is Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We are an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm very excited uh, to introduce my guest who we're going to be uh, talking to and learning more about. She is currently the pastor at Lansing Central Free Methodist Church, but also one of the co-superintendents with the Eastern Conference of the Free Methodist Church, also where I am a part of. And so I am very, very happy to welcome Joanna DeWolf today. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Well, thank you for joining me. I was uh, so happy when you were able to uh, say yes to coming on the show. And uh, just as we're getting to to know one another as I'm beginning my process and the ordination and eldership in the Free Methodist Church. So uh, looking forward to hearing your story and journey and call. So we're going to jump just right into it as we always do. And I just love to hear a little bit about your background and then your your call into ministry and what some of that preparation looked like. So um, I grew up in the Free Methodist Church. My dad was a Free Methodist pastor. So um, really, in fact, uh, we lived up in the Thumb when he was first pastor, and our our parsonage was right behind the church, and then they ended up buying another one across the street, and we moved over there. So I always thought of the churchyard as like an extens- extension of my home. Um, and so I've, I've really always been in the Free Methodist Church Um but explored a whole lot of other things in, in the process. Um, when you start talking about a call, that's an interesting um, perspective. And I, I always love to tell this story, especially to teenagers, because I felt a call when I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. And um, I've never heard anyone else say that their call was exactly like this. Uh, I was at our church camp that we went to every year because my dad was pastor and that was uh, required of all the pastors <laughs> to go to church camp. My uh, Neither of my parents were much of campers, <laughs> um, but we actually loved the spiritual piece of it. I mean, mm. it was a very, you know, being with other families and, and setting that aside that time. And I loved it. I had been going to church camp for the kids and then coming for family camp. So, but part of family camp for me was, you know, sitting in the back with my teenage friends and passing notes during service that was every night and, um, so it was the last, one of the last nights of camp and, uh, it was always missions night and they would have a missionary preach and share. And I, I sadly to this day, don't remember who the missionaries were. And I believe it was a husband and wife, um, and that maybe they both spoke that evening. Uh, but of course I don't remember much cause frankly, all I was doing was passing notes to my friends during the entire service. Who doesn't at church camp? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we get to the end of service and they do this altar call. But what they do that night was, um, if you feel called to full-time ministry, then you should come forward. And I, my heart jumped out of my chest and all I could think of was, how could this be possible? I didn't listen to a word of the service. How could God be speaking to me right now? <laughs> so I was like, no, no, I'm not going to go up. And as they did back then, um, we did another verse of the song, you know, and the missionary got back up and said, you know, if you feel called to full-time ministry in some way, then you should come forward. And so when the second time happened and my heart was just beating like crazy, I went, I think I'm supposed to go forward. 
So I did. Um, and I went forward. My parents were not sitting with me, so they came from a different part of the, the tent. They saw me go forward, and they came and just stood behind me. And it was a very simple sort of thing. I think people prayed over, you know, the missionary prayed over whoever was at the altar. My parents stood behind me. And then the service was over, and we all got up and left, and that was it. And mm -hmm. there wasn't really a lot of conversation about it. It was just, but it was cemented in my mind mm -hmm. that, okay, I have this call. I don't know that I thought much about what that meant. And I think in my mind, I figured, well, I, probably I was going to be a missionary since it was missions night, you know. Um, but fast forward to my junior or senior year in high school, and my dad was one of the delegates uh, elected to go to general conference for the Free Methodist Church, which is every four years. And he left and he came back and he sat me down and he said, Joanna, uh, we just had a lot of conversation at General Conference about women in ministry and pastoring. And if you feel called to be a pastor, I just want you to know that I 100% support you. Hmm. And I remember thinking, why is he saying this? Like, hmm. I, I don't think I had thought about whether I was a woman or not. And I really hadn't thought that I would be called to be a pastor. I just knew... I would do ministry. Mm -hmm. and But that started this thinking in my head of like, well, maybe, maybe I'm going to be a pastor. I, I don't know. Um, and then my dad gave me opportunities to start ministering. Mm -hmm. um, I probably preached after my freshman year in college on a Sunday morning. Um, and... People would come to me and say what they had learned and, you know, how much that it, it, it changed people, you know, and I thought, oh, okay, maybe I have a gift of some kind, you know. Well, it was definitely in college that this idea of a woman pastor really hit me. And I realized that there were people who didn't believe that that should happen. Mm -hmm. And here I had my dad's full support and my dad was was and is very much a significant person in my life. Um, I remember again in high school sitting one day in a service, and he was preaching. And he, whatever it was he said, I was I sat and I looked at him and I thought, my dad lives what he preaches. I see this in my home every day, and I I think it was because that very week. I had woken up one morning and there was a woman sleeping on our couch and my mom shushed me, you know, as I'm getting ready for school and said, she's still sleeping. And when I got home from school, okay, who was this woman? Why was she here? And my dad had gotten a call in the middle of the night of her being abused and mm. went and picked her up and let her sleep at her house, you know? Mm. And I went, and I think my dad must've preached about loving others, you know? Mm. And I thought, no, this is what my dad does all the time. And unlike so many of my other pastor kid friends um, who complained that their parents didn't seem to be the same at church and at home, hmm. um, I just never had that issue. I, my parents fully lived hmm. what they taught. Um, so here my dad is telling me, you know, maybe I see this in you and I support it. 
So I actually had a conversation. There was a woman that came to college and I said to her, and she was an ordained pastor in the Free Methodist Church. And I go, well, what, what do you do if people say that they don't believe in that? <laughs> and she said something that changed me. She said, I don't argue with them. I let my ministry speak for itself. Hmm. And suddenly I felt this weight go off of my shoulders. And I went, I'm just going to do what God calls me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I continued pursuing being ordained. I took a preaching class at, I was at Spring Arbor, now university, and minored in Christian ministry. I majored actually in sociology and psychology. I've never regretted that. It helps in every way in mm-hmm. ministry and dealing with people. Um, but I took, I took some other classes mm-hmm. in ministry as a minor, knowing that probably I was going to go this path, you know, and, um, but I took a preaching class and I was the only woman in the class. And actually, everybody was kind of sending me vibes of, we don't really think you belong here mm. until I preached the first sermon in the class. And the teacher and the other students said, oh, you have a gift. Mm. And it was so like affirming to me, knowing that they really didn't think that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's what kept happening mm. to me over and over again mm. um, is other people were saying, this is what we see in mm. you. And it affirmed what I knew God had asked me to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's the beginning piece of my call. And it, it has continued throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Right. That when you do what God asks you to mm-hmm. do, um, he sends that mm. confirmation and affirmation. Um, I don't know how many more pieces of the story because yeah. the rest of my journey is really interesting. Yeah. But that that's the beginning pieces that I've, I've really never turned back mm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you, for me, when I know God has asked me or said something to me, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Mm. Well, that's amazing. And even just kind of referencing before we started recording, we kind of were talking about different things and, you know, mentioned the Edwards principle, you know, when testing spiritual uh, expressions, but I think it has an application here, you know, it brings glory to Christ. Um, And even on the egalitarian, complementarian discussion, I have wonderful friends who I love dearly who are very vehement against women in ministry, but, uh, and that's a discussion to be had and there's different perspectives. And, but I think, you know, ultimately when we look and see, but it's bringing glory to Christ. And I think when we can interpret what we, what we, what it seems like the scripture is saying, we can come away with different interpretations, but I, I don't, I think there hasn't been any loss in, in the glory brought to Christ, especially, you know, I appreciate I've listened to some of your sermons and just, you know, the relational nature that you bring across in, in not just my relationship with Christ, but then how do I express that to those that are around me? And so that's something I've appreciated a lot. So You've gone through Spring Arbor. Uh, kind of what has been, uh, what was your first m- jump into ministry work, pastoral work uh, from schooling? And what maybe was some of the transition from schooling, though you grew up in a pastor's home like myself, so you kind of understood some of the nuances. But what was still some of that transition like for you? I've I've done a really strange journey. So um, in college, I... Um, at our church, uh, Lansing's about an hour from Spring Arbor, and um, some other students started a ministry for um, urban teenagers at my home church. 
And I kind of got that a little bit connected and didn't do anything the first year and then got involved that summer and the leader left. And so I led for another year. Um, I learned that we grew a little too fast for what I could handle probably. Mm -hmm. And, and I was over my head that there was, uh, ended up being some gang stuff. And so it ended at the end of the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can, I had all these relationships then. So I just kept relationships up Mm -hmm. with a lot of the kids, even though we didn't have like a weekly program. So I, I really felt a call to urban ministry and, um, a lot with youth and was very influenced by um, John Perkins, uh, who started an organization called Christian, Christian mm. Community Development mm. Association uh, down in, I always get it wrong, down in the South. <laughs> uh, went for a week and saw all that he did of really investing in an urban neighborhood mm-hmm. for Jesus, but in ways that really transformed a community mm. and people's lives and not just their spiritual lives. So that was really influential to me. He also talked a lot about racial reconciliation, which was hugely important to me. And, and I went to an inner city school in Lansing mm. um, for junior high and high school and went to school all the time with people from all over the world, really. Um, so I had that background and experience and, and heart uh, mm-hmm. that everybody was important to me. Um so did that, and then when I graduated, I actually went and worked for Youth for Christ and led a campus life club for a year at one of the city schools in Lansing. Transitioned then to doing uh, juvenile justice through Youth for Christ and went into detention centers hmm. and um, did chapel services and met one-on-one with uh, teens who were there and did that a couple years. And as I was doing that, I was realizing there was no curriculum written for that group of Hmm. kids and things written for teens were very like middle class focused so I found myself writing my own curriculum all the time Hmm. when I'd go in to the chapels and things and and I thought I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) so that kind of motivated me Mm -hmm. in wanting to get um, more education so I ended up at Wheaton College um, and got a master's in educational ministries and I did that because I am ultimately always practical, but uh, and so I really wanted more the Christian ed piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I looked at their program, that program had the most um, flexibility of electives of classes. Mm-hmm. So I worked with the denomination and I said, "What classes do I need to be ordained?" And so I took all my electives in the Bible and theology, mm-hmm. and then my core things in Christian education. So basically, got everything I needed to. And um, sadly now to me as a 50-year-old, I really was afraid of seminary because I didn't want to have to learn Hebrew or Greek. And I didn't feel that there was any practical Hmm. application for it. Now I get why. But, you know, God has something different for each of us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So went to Wheaton, really thought that I'd probably stay in Chicago. Uh, But my husband and I were there because I thought, "I'm, I'm an urban girl, right? Um, but after we lived in the big, big city for a long time, went, I don't think that's for us Hmm. and came back to Lansing, which is its own urban area, but a lot more manageable and, um, ended up coming back and working at the church, Hmm. um, instead of in a parachurch organization and, um, uh, lots more pieces of, of things from there, but that's for my education, um, 
And I think part of your question is, you know, <laughs> the transition from mm-hmm. even being a pastor's kid and an education and kind yeah. of that idealism to mm-hmm. reality, right? Um, so I already had some reality of like, oh, I th- think I know what I'm doing for ministry. Well, I needed more education, right? Um, then I jumped into this church setting and without giving all the details, what I really learned is that however much we are people who are created in the image of God, and that's the goodness of all of us, and we all have that, we also all have sin. Mm. And um, went through some very difficult transitions at my home church with different pastors who came in and um, really got to see that even pastors aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um in pretty tough ways. And I ended up leaving my home church for a couple of years after I'd been on, on staff for a few years and, and um, really had to work through a bunch of things of, to refer back to, you know, is it about God or is it about the church? Is it about Jesus or is it about people, individual people that you're following? Um, and when I, when I left, one of the phrases God gave me gave me as I was praying and really hurting and had a young child, a uh, baby that had just been born, and um, the Lord gave me this phrase, obedience without obligation. Hmm. Joanna, will you obey me? Will you keep ministering even when you don't have a job that you're being paid and a position? And uh, I wrestled with that for a little bit. You know, what does that look like? And interestingly, I had no idea at the time that that would be my life for the next, I can't even remember, 13, no, 14, 15 years. Um, Only one time in the next, those next years, did I ever have a position at a church, and it was for not even six months. Um, And every year, many years, I would say to my husband, oh, now I'm ordained and like I'm not even doing a position. And he would look at me and say, don't you see that you're doing ministry? And he'd start naming. <laughs> you're doing this. Mm-hmm. You you have influenced this person. You have encouraged this person. Mm-hmm. You've done this ministry. And um, that changed me, right? So that when it was time to have a position again, I was a very different person. Um, so my education <laughs> wasn't just education, yeah. right? Um, it was in the school of life, of living mm-hmm. life, and continuing to try to listen mm-hmm. and obey God, even in the things when no one else was watching, mm-hmm. when when I wasn't getting credit for any of it, when I wasn't getting any money for any of it, you know, you're just, it's you and God. And will you listen to what he asks you to do? Mm. So. Yeah. And that's one of the kind of hearts and vision of why we're talking about this. You know, what what's the hard knock life aspect that you don't necessarily get on the academic side, even if there are professors uh, who, who've never practically pastored. And so there, there aren't always those experiences that can get passed along. And I think there's a huge value, especially even in your role now here in the conference, you know, being able to. Uh, you know, mentor and help lead, you know, the pastoral element of 
of the mission of what we're trying to do here. So I, I, I think there's some amazing value of what God's worked in your in your life for that, um, prepared you for such a time as this where where you are now. So I think that's it's wonderful. So what brought you then is Central Lansing then the church that's been the church the whole time, or was that then a transition at some point? That's been the church. That's been the church. Which, again, is really weird to me. Um, and uh, actually, the so I homeschooled my kids for a number of years and never wanted to do that. Had not been the plan. And that was God's plan and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had a joke that was not a joke that I would tell people. They'd go, oh, you homeschool. And I'd go, yeah, I have an annual renewable contract with God. It's one year at a time. Because I was so not wanting to do it. Yeah. Um, and then it ended up being for nine years hmm. that I uh, homeschooled both kids. And one of the things that I said I would never do, I don't say that word anymore. Because uh, more than one time I've said I will never do that. And then I end up doing that. One was that I was never going to homeschool. Um, and in the process, I, I always say I had some of the greatest joys of my life. Hmm homeschooling and I never thought that I would say that Mm -hmm. Um, but it in many ways it was my wilderness experience without the drought of the wilderness Mm -hmm. but it was that formation time for me in my character Mm -hmm. right like in these hidden places will you have discipline for yourself will you make plans will you invest deeply in two children and not a whole church in doing the right things Mm. Um, and it's funny in my staff now. So, um, we were still attending, uh, Lansing central and I had told the pastor when a new pastor came because I had been through some really awful transitions. I said, listen, I'm attending here, but I'm not going to get in your way. Um, and if you need me to leave because I was the superintendent's daughter at the time when he first came and whatever I said, I- I'll step out. Cause I, I don't want another yucky mm-hmm. <laughs> transition and, yeah, that's okay. And so I found ways to minister in the church, almost separate from the church in many mm. ways. Um, and when the Lord told me it was time for my kids to move on and, and go to school, one of the things my husband said was, um, you know, I want you to take a year and just for you, like you have, you've given everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a year and it was weird because I don't usually do a lot of things for myself. Yeah. Um, but I had started running and I did a half marathon, trained for a half marathon. It was awesome. Then did a um, mini try and this is like a really cool, but I got to the end of that year and went, okay, Lord, wait, I did another year, right? So now I'm ready. I'm ready to jump into ministry. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see a place for myself at my home church. And, but I, where our whole family was, I was like, I where else would I go? What mm. would I do? And so the Lord and I had a real wrestling match at the end of that first year. And that summer, the lead pastor sent out an email to all of the staff and leadership and said, yeah, I've been offered a couple other positions, but I just think the Lord is telling me that I'm going to be here long term. So I thought, wow, okay, so where does that leave me, Lord? Because I, I don't see this, right? And I felt so clearly the Lord did not release me from that church. Hmm. So I started pursuing doing some writing and I had written a couple of books before. And so I thought, well, maybe I need to do more writing that that's, you know, so I started working on something and it just never seemed to do whatever. And 
I believe it was February of that year, the pastor pulled me aside after church one Sunday and said, hey, I just need you to know, I think I'm going to take a superintendent position and I'm actually going to leave this spring. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Lord, so you do know what you're talking about, right? But I hadn't really Mm. for sure thought about being a lead pastor. I wasn't sure that was what my call was. You know, I was going to be a pastor. Um, So I went deep into prayer. I told my husband only, took a week, didn't talk to anybody else, not my not my close people, you know, I just was like, I got to pray about this. And even, even past that, when, when I talked to kind of my immediate people, um, I was like, I, I'm not talking to the church about this. I'm mm-hmm. not doing anything. I'm just going to pray. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he left and I was appointed lead pastor mm. at my home church where my father had been the pastor mm. for 17 years. Wow. Um, you know, and I had grown up and my kids had grown up and, um, yeah, so that's where I am. Mm. I'm lead pastor and now have staff there. And, and then five years later, I'm a co-superintendent, which yeah. is its own craziness. Its own so journey. It's, yeah. But again, it's when God asks you to do something yeah. for me, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. When God asks me to do something, I trust that mm-hmm. that's the life lesson. Um, mm. God knows what he's doing Yeah, far better than I do. Mm-hmm. No, amen, he does. <laughs> so sitting in your position now, and this has kind of two facets to it, you know, touching on your lead pastor role, but then also your co-superintendent role as Joanna DeWolf in getting to the end of 2022, what do you see as challenges for, for pastors in the coming years? Like you're in a role of, you know, developing and working with pastors, but then also as a pastor yourself. So what do you see kind of as some of those challenges that are kind of on the horizon or coming up to us? I don't know that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about horizon because I've been so in the here and now and what are the challenges now, um, you know, coming out of COVID, Mm -hmm. everything shifted, everything shifted during that time. And all of the things that in the church that we thought, not beliefs, but practices Hmm. were non-negotiables or just the way it worked Mm. i don't think a whole lot of those Mm. are true anymore Mm -hmm. um and i don't think we have figured out yet what the new things are Mm. Uh, my temptation is to say what the new things are that work but i think the bigger question is what the new thing is that god is doing Mm. Right. Like, I, I don't, we can get really f- focused on the practices or the models. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that anybody can build those yet. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is something, there's a shift that God is doing and that it's our responsibility to say, what is it you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Anyone from my church will um, not will laugh and not be surprised when I say um, it's about taking one step at a time. Mm -hmm. And there's so often that I want to know what the 10th step is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of my story, one of, one of the God's called times in my story was when I was graduating from college that fall. And I wanted God to tell me what I I was doing when I was going to graduate. Like, 
people are talking about these things. I got to have a plan. And the Lord kept saying to me, will you trust me first? Then I'll tell you. Mm. And I kept saying to him, I, <laughs> this is true confession. You tell me and then I'll trust you. Mm. And it was probably one of the, I have a few wrestling moments that I can point back in my life, but that was a key moment to me where I was wrestling so hard against God, right? Like he's telling me one thing and I'm telling him the opposite. And I remember sitting in a chapel service at, at college and there was a woman who came and sang, I believe her name was Babby Mason. And her last song was something about, you know, almost to the words that God had been saying to me, trust me, you know, mm -hmm. leave it in my hands and then I'll tell you where to go. And I remember being so angry. I actually physically was sitting during the song with my arms folded across mm. my chest. Scowl on your face. Scowl yeah. on my face of like, no, I can't do it that way. And everybody left the service to go to class. And the I sat there. Because I knew, I knew I was battling God on it. And the chaplain of the college came up, sat next to me, Joanna, is there something I can pray for you? And I said, no. Because hmm. there wasn't, right? I knew what the issue was. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't willing to give up. Yeah. And, hmm. and when I did, it was a beautiful, wonderful, hmm. amazing thing. And God showed up and... It, Again, other cool stories, but that lesson to me is where we are right now, right? Mm -hmm. That we want to know, we want to make the prediction, we yep. want to, this is what it's going to look like mm -hmm. in five and 10 years. And I just think the Lord is saying, the American church has tried to do that for a really long time, has mm -hmm. tried to control it and say, this is the way. And we're going to build this model and this thing. And if you just do it that way, it'll work. Mm -hmm. Well, all of that has been taken away from us. And I wonder whether the Lord is saying to us, will you trust me? And mm -hmm. then I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if all of us as pastors, as leaders, and as church people, are we really at the place mm -hmm. where we can say, Yes, I trust you. And even if you only show me one step, mm -hmm. I'll take that one. Even when I don't know mm -hmm. what that will look like. Yeah. Um, maybe that sounds super spiritual, but it's it's not. It's mm -hmm. really, really real life to me. Yep. Um, yeah. But I think that's how change happens mm. is when we trust God with the very mm. next step yeah. fully mm. and take it. And then wait for the yeah. next one. Yeah. There, there's that kind of, it, it's not a dichotomy, but it's kind of that balance of letting go and trusting God, but then also being like Jacob and not stop fighting until, until he answers until, you know, for Jacob's situation, it was bless him. And, you know, I think part of the church has forgotten that, you know, Israel means struggle with God. It also means prince, but it means struggle with God. And I think we've lost that element where we struggle with God just as you were wrestling with him. And I've had that time where I've had to, I'm just wrestling with what he's trying to say, but 
the resolution of us trusting him comes when we continue to wrestle. Right. And I think we just need to say, oh, well, I'll just drop it and trust God. But maybe the change in our heart comes when we continue to wrestle him. And he shows us, just like Job, we don't have the perspective he does. And yeah. I think in that wrestling, he gives us that perspective. So right. I think that's... Yeah, I think we rush yeah. people to that, yeah. right? To let go and let God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people who do that without wrestling, it's probably not as authentic, right? Mm. I think there's things that we need to name inside of us yeah. <laughs> and let go of yeah. really specifically, not just generally let go, mm-hmm. but like, okay, this is the pain. This is the fear. Mm. This is my control issue. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. Name all of that and and release it. Mm. Um and I have conversations with people like that a lot. I also say a lot to people, God can handle it. Like he is big enough <laughs> to to take your questions, take yeah. your doubts, take your control issues, mm. take it. But, you know, he can handle it. So talk to him about it. Yeah. Right. Wrestle mm. it through with him so that you can find that mm. place of, yeah. um, okay, I'm mm. ready we also talk about praying the prayer of open hands at our church mm. a lot. Um, and I tell people to physically do it because, again, I've had a, a, a time, a different time in my life where I found myself actually in prayer and I realized that both of my hands were clenched in fists. Mm. And God said to me, will you open your hands? And I stood there for the longest time going, I don't want to. And when I physically could do it, hmm. it changed everything for me. Um, it's, okay, God, I want what you want hmm. instead Amen. of, this is the way I want it with the clenched fists, you know. Yep. Um, so yeah. again, at our church, we uh, we talk about that a lot. Hmm. Have you prayed the prayer of open hands? And when I was actually wrestling with the superintendent and um, people asking you know, will you do this? I said no three times, actually. Mm. <laughs> and uh, finally, some other women pastors who I had been meeting with over Zoom for the last year, met with them in person during the middle of this wrestling. Mm. And I don't think that one of them had even known that I used this language of the prayer of open hands. And uh, we were in a hotel room one night catching up and they said, Joanna, have you been praying about the superintendent thing? And I said, yeah, I've been praying about it. They're like, oh, well, what do you, I said, no, I think the Lord's saying no. And they go, well, have you prayed the prayer of open hands? Mm. Oh, it killed me. It was like, (laughs) (laughs) she just said my Mm. words to me, right? Oh, what I preach every Sunday, she's saying. And I said to her, no, I'm praying the prayer of closed fists. Mm. And she goes, well, we got to stop right now. We're going to pray for you. Mm. And I thought about, even as I'm saying right now, I think about, Years ago, I wouldn't even let that chaplain pray for me. Mm-hmm. The growth was at that moment. Let others. I said, "Yeah, hmm. you guys need to pray for me because I can't. Hmm. I can't do it right yeah. now. I don't. I don't want it." Hmm. Um, hmm. And then the Lord started to release that hmm. in me so that I could, yeah, say, "Okay, I, I want what you want." Hmm. It's just interesting. I, I kind of see this image when we pray a prayer with closed hands. The God that responds is the God in our image. But when we pray with open hands, it's the God that responds is in Christ's image. So I think there's just an interesting mm-hmm. image there that just came to mind. 
Mm-hmm. So as we're just moving into the closing here, there's a Charles Spurgeon quote that I love. I say it every episode because it's the best. He talks about living in the Bible, but read many good books. And so all of us have been changed and transformed uh, through God's word, through Jesus. But what has been one or maybe a couple of those books, good books that you've spent time in that have been really impactful for you? So when I was a kid, um, my uncle, who I think was a pastor at the time, came and stayed with us and found a biography in the basement and turned it into an every night um, story time Mm. for my sisters and I. And uh, I loved it. He was a wonderful storyteller and he did cliffhangers every night for the week. and, And what I found out later, a few years later, is I went to the basement uh, bedroom where he had been staying, and I saw the name that this guy of this person, and he I found out he had been reading the book at night that hmm. he had found in the bedroom and then was making it into a story for us. And so then I read the book myself because it was hmm. so impactful, and it was the biography of George Mueller. Hmm. Um, Quite a story. Uh-huh. And... I will tell you that story at both of those times in my life, I think were, were those wet cement times in Mm. my life. And that changed me. That man of faith who ended up feeding hundreds and clothing and sheltering hundreds of orphans by only praying and asking God for the resources. He never asked anyone for money. Mm. And that shaped me at a very young age. Um, so I always tell everyone, read a biography mm. or the autobiography of George Mueller. The autobiography is actually his prayer journals. Mm. Where I mean, it's almost the same prayer every day. It's kind of boring to read the, the journal because yeah. it's every day. Lord, mm. I need you to mm. show up. Um, but that hugely influenced me. And then I read a lot of other missionary biographies as a kid. Uh, there was a single older lady in our church, retired school teacher who never had her own kids and kind of adopted us. And every year for my birthday, she'd buy me another biography of a missionary. Hmm. And um, that shaped me, Hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. these stories of people who just followed God and did it. Um, Hmm. Gladys Allward is another one, probably my two favorite ones, George Mueller and Gladys Allward. So those are huge. The other one is I've been so shaped by Dallas Willard. Um, his whole spiritual formation. And, and one of his books came into my life at a time when I was really doing a lot of kind of intellectual thinking. And he's such an intelligent man and yet who deeply loved Jesus and, and was mm-hmm. transformed by him. And that combination, mm-hmm. I felt like there were a lot of people in my life that were at that time, I thought just not as intellectual or smart. And so then mm-hmm. I was worried, like, well, is God big enough for the intellectual piece? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read Divine Con- Conspiracy right at that time. And it, it was, it's Dallas Willard's kind of treatise on the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, later he wrote a book called Renovation of the Heart that's really about transforming of your whole life Mm. you know how god comes into your heart soul mind body Mm -hmm. and it's holiness right Mm. and Mm -hmm. which is who the free methodists are but he just did it in a way that was so transformative Mm. for me um and i've read pretty much read everything that he's written um 
lots of other people have influenced me, but probably I go back to him a Mm. lot. Well, definitely some awesome reads to add to my ever-growing list of books that I want to get to. Yeah, if you keep asking the question, you're going to get all this every Every week, every week it's a new book or new couple books. Well, Joanna, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me, share your call and journey and story. It's been very encouraging. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. Uh, we're, uh, our hope, our goal, our vision and mission is to to encourage those who are maybe interested in pastoral ministry or those already in ministry, but by hearing the stories of others and those who have gone before, we can be encouraged in what God has called us to. You can find us on every major podcasting platform, so please like, subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, family, and those in your churches. We'd love for them to join us like you on The Pastor's Call. We'll see you in the next episode. God bless.